Mac Pro for the win on the other side of Canada, I hear. You have like a garbage can sitting on your computer now? Do you have, you, have you spray painted it yet? You know, bright silver? No, I'm thinking of putting some decals on it though, just to give it a little bit of personality. Cause now I, um, so I made the mistake a few years ago of buying an actual like round, small trash can for the <laughs> office. And now I can't really tell which is which. them apart that easily. <laughs> One of them's got a little foot pedal, so that helps. But now it's uh, it's trickier because they're both dead silent and they're both about the same size. Don't, don't so. throw any like random pieces of paper into the new Mac Pro, you know, just, you know, they say it's quiet. They say it's cool, but you never know. Maybe, you know, blows up and I'm not going to test it. <laughs> yeah. It's not made by sense. It's not made by, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, they just, yeah, they just recalled what dishwashers? No, washing machines. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, those yeah. poor guys, that is not great. <laughs> that is just not great for their corporate dignity. Next up is their fridge. Yeah. Who knows? Um, anyway, guys, welcome back to Candid, the um, purely Canadian semi-weekly photography podcast we, we claim it's <laughs> weekly but we haven't been doing so good on the schedule yeah. lately. forgive us on that it's been uh it's been busy for all of us we are trying purely canadian we fired the spaniard yeah he's gone in reality he just gets to surf in the spanish waves and here we are i can't complain about canadian weather checkbox right there uh i can't complain about it it is like 18 degrees in southern manitoba in the middle of november i same here it's crazy I don't think, like we could probably go golfing today and I don't think that's happened in my entire lifetime. So all hail global warming. Yeah. I mean, we do have a, uh, a crazy um, prediction that we're, we're going to get a lot of snow later on in the winter, which I would be okay with, but I, yeah, for now it's, it's mild. It's scary. Um, by the way, speaking of, uh, speaking of global warming, if you guys haven't seen the, um, the really great uh, documentary um, actually, I think you might've missed it by the time this episode is out. Um, but uh, it's called Before the Flood, I believe. Josh, have you watched that? Is this that uh, DiCaprio? Yeah. There, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I would like to. Yeah, it's out. It's for free on YouTube until today, I believe. Today we're recording okay. on the 6th of November, and I think that was right. the cutoff date. So after the show, be be good to get it. Um, anyway, um, we actually have to swing back away from politics and interesting, meaningful things and talk about <laughs> computers. Um, but before we do that, you and I both um, oh. had a very disappointing little week here because it started out with this tremendously exciting idea. I woke up, I don't remember what day it was, and on yeah, my Thursday or Friday, on my Facebook feed, someone was like, "Hey, uh, we're trying to like pre-order this Amazon, this um, Olympus EM1 Mark II, and Amazon Canada has it for." you know, an incorrect price. And it was like 1200. Not, not just, yeah. Not just incorrect, like less than 50%. Yeah. It was like vastly <laughs> wrong. So I caught this and I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is too good to be true. It's not going to work, whatever. Uh, but I, I pre-ordered it and I, obviously I told you immediately. And so you got a pre-order in as well. And for a few days there, I, I thought that we would pull it off. I really, I was starting to get a little bit optimistic because we, we hadn't heard anything. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, we got our cancellation emails yesterday. They were like, hey, yeah, this is uh, too big a price discrepancy. So yeah. <laughs> sorry. Jeez. Yeah. Overall kind of pointed out the uh, Amazon Canada policy and that kind of shot down any hopes I had. But like just like a week before, Amazon US had like heavily discounted the brand new MacBook Pros. More on that in a bit, but heavily discounted them. And they honored all of those pre-orders that uh, were it was a mistaken discount and they honored all those pre-orders. So I thought like MacBook Pro, EM1 Mark II, like what's the difference, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this, the struggle there was that those, <laughs> even, even in that case, it was like a $300 mistake. Yeah. Not, not like $1,500. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this was, this would have been too good to be true. Um, but either way, 
that was uh, worth a shot. Yeah, it was, it was worth, a, worth shot. a shot. So we're unfortunately going to have to look forward to somehow getting our hands on the full price EM1 Mark right, II, yeah, which great. is $2,500. In what realm is that coming from? Like, come on. In, you know what? We, we've been talking about this. There's technology prices going through the roof in every category. Oh, it's man. It's just not a great time to be trying to purchase professional equipment. It's, ugh. I, I don't know. Like, the X-Pro2, the X-T2. Like, we're talking about a micro four-thirds camera that's more expensive than a... Uh, granted, Sony's A7R2 is only like a year old, right? Like, it there hasn't been a, an update in six weeks. Can you believe it or yeah, not? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, uh, but like this camera is like priced north of the a7 II. Like, ah, I don't know. No matter how fast they make it, I just don't, I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, it's the only camera that provides that particular combination of features. So I guess they can. Yeah. And we have to see because I, I, I fear for you, especially um, when Sony announces the a7 Mark oh, threes, man. right? They're going to be yeah. even more expensive. 4,000 plus. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. I mean, they've got a lot of room on the DSLR front, like Nikon's high end, Nikon, sorry, their highest end, you know, DSLRs are, sh- they're in the seven or $8,000 range. So Canadian for sure. Uh, so they've got a little bit of room, I guess, Sony to, you know, boost their prices. And, and I guess I will just sit here yearning, finding, trying to justify a way to my wife to purchase the newest camera. Yeah. Well, first you got to find whether or not it's worth doing because, uh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, at this point I hate the Sony a7 II minus the files. I'll put that like, there's a little asterisk there somewhere. Right. So like, I love the pictures that come out of it, but the camera body, they could, I don't know. All they'd have to do is upgrade. Uh, they, they could put dual SD card slots in it and I'd still want to buy it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's going to take much to convince you to buy whatever they come out with next, but it's, uh, yeah, we'll see. It, it can't be long now. I mean, we're getting to the point where I'm expecting some sort of news to drop any day now, but the rumor mill has yeah. been fairly quiet. So who who knows? Yeah. So in the same lustworthy uh, tech devices, um, well, we've all kind of, at this point, we've all read about the MacBook Pro and all the all of the compromises, we'll say, that Apple's made with their newest laptop. Um, and here I am once again, yearning and lusting after another Apple product. Yep. And I'm not um, at all for these. And it's not because <laughs> at all, it's not because they're not cool looking machines. Um, it's just that I am not a laptop guy. I really don't have a use for a laptop. So for me, this is a, uh, it's actually a very relaxing time of year because uh, un- instead of them, re- you know, unveiling new desktop Macs and things like that, that I'd actually be tempted to buy. They only talked about laptops and that's just a category that does not apply to me so woohoo um but they are it's a very interesting set of updates that they've made here so the the big news is the touch bar which we'll chat about but it's also um just from a product line perspective they've done some changing because there's no longer a macbook air um there's no longer that old disk drive equipped macbook pro 13 inch from way back when that was kind of a business purchase Mm -hmm. Um, and instead, they have two MacBook Pro 13-inch machines, which is confusing. Um, oh, confusing. Can you imagine walking into the Apple store and saying, hey, I want a 13-inch MacBook. Like, I just want, like, a lap 13-inch computer. They're going to have, like, I, I walked into the Winnipeg store, Winnipeg Apple store yesterday, yeah. and they still had all the old MacBook Airs on sale and all of the old 13-inch MacBook Pros that don't have USB-C. So, like, in three or four weeks' time, they're going to have, like, six or seven different 13 inch notebooks. Yeah. It's pretty gross right now. And honestly, it's, um, 
Yeah, for, for now, the only one that's actually shipping is the new MacBook Pro 13-inch without um, without a touch bar. ATP has given it a really cute nickname, which is the MacBook Escape. Um, and, and it's a huge escape. Button. Yeah, <laughs> the reason is, of course, because the, the touch bar means that, uh, well, it's, it's taken the place of the function row of keys on the, uh, on the other keyboards, which means that things like the escape key no longer exist in physical form. Um, and that's been the subject of quite a bit of um, annoyance, mostly on the part of developers, not really yeah. on the part of anyone else. Because realistically, I, I mean, the the only function row keys I can ever recall using were, uh, you know, the volume change ones and and things like that. I, I do use the escape key, like it's it's useful, but I don't know that it needs to be a physical button. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for the sake of one small. Well, maybe they're bigger than I think, but. One small group, right? Well, actually, speaking of ATP, uh, John Syracuse made a good point about it. He actually, you know, being a developer, he should be annoyed by this, but he's not annoyed by the absence of a physical key. What pisses him off is the fact that uh, the escape key is actually not all the way on the left edge of the touch uh, bar. Yeah, symmetrical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Joni Ivan is and his symmetry there. So we, uh, you know, there's there's always something to whine about. But I think that the um, the overall product lineup right now is just more confusing than it needs to be. I don't understand why this MacBook Pro 13 inch without the touch bar didn't just inherit the Air name, um, or or the MacBook or the name. MacBook like just something like there's there's no there's no reason for it to be clumped in like this, especially since in many ways, it is a MacBook Air. Like, it's not a MacBook Pro in any realistic sense. It does not have the horsepower to merit that name, I don't think. No, I would agree. So, I would but, agree. It, it is actually, I, you know, I got to play around with it just a little bit yesterday. And um, my impressions were, like, first off, the trackpad's gigantic. We've all talked about that. But it literally, it's massive. Yeah. Um, which is good, like, uh, especially from coming from this photography aspect. I think, like, um, I still would prefer a mouse when I'm editing on screen. Right. But you know, the more that you click and drag your finger around on that trackpad, the bigger it, it you'd love like it to be. So this thing is gigantic. I can't wait to see what it looks like on the 15 inch. It's going to be like taking up the entire bottom part almost. But uh, so the the trackpad's huge, and I'm not entirely sure if you know. I spent about four hours straight yesterday morning writing on the the 12 inch MacBook, and that's that really really thin what they call this butterfly switch keyboard. And I, you know, I, I I've come to really like it. Um, it's fast, it's accurate. Um, but then I went and I went directly to the Apple store in Winnipeg and played around with this 13 inch. And I was amazed by how different the latest keyboard felt. So like I, it was kind of that jarring. I went from four hours straight of typing on the same keyboard to switching. And they're supposed to be, some people are saying they feel exactly the same. Like I would largely disagree. The 13-inch MacBook Pro, the new one, has a phenomenal, phenomenal keyboard. A little bit more travel. Felt like the keys were a little tighter. Um, I still have a little, little, little bit of wobble on the MacBook, the 12-inch MacBook keys. If you like press the corner, they kind of, you know, they jiggle just a little bit. But the new MacBook Pro, I would say that is not their period. So um, I don't know. I was typing for, I maybe typed five minutes or so at the store and loved it. So I'll keep it to that. Um, but I would buy that computer for the keyboard alone. Not even kidding. Well, that's good. And and honestly, that kind of, um, that kind of comparison is more useful because I didn't, um, so I've never owned one of the the new MacBooks and I did try the, the keyboards. They didn't really bother me. I think because I got used to um, the smart keyboard for the iPad Pro, which I do a lot of typing right. on. And that has, right. um, it's actually got more key travel than the MacBook does. Um, and I find it to be a very comfy keyboard in general to write on, but whenever I'm at my actual 
desktop machine, I'm using the Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboard, which is, that's been a tremendous help for me just in general, hmm. because actually look at that one. It's uh, it takes a little getting used to with the whole split design, but my hands are so much more comfortable after a lot of typing, like a long typing session hmm. used to, I don't know. I just I would feel a little stiff. I would feel a little uh, colder at my fingertips. Yeah. I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. So, um, to, to me, all of these laptop keyboards are just degrees of bad rather than an actual good typing experience. So I'm um, the, the keyboard I'm looking forward to is Gen Two of this of this Microsoft yeah, yeah, yeah. Sculpt thing. Uh, but anyway, the um, we should talk about the Touch Bar because this is the the I guess the innovation, if we want to call it right. that, in uh, right. in this device. And essentially, what looks to be the most um, applicable to photography is the fact that you'll be able to customize it as a sort of shortcut row. Um, and they, they did an uh, onstage demo with Photoshop and that that seemed to be what they were showing off. I think the Final Cut and uh, Logic or GarageBand, whichever it was, those demos were a little more ambitious in terms of what the touch bar was uh, was doing. So you'd have a little mm-hmm. timeline scrubber or you'd have something like that. The Photoshop one did have a, um, I think it was a color picker or something like that. Yeah, little... she she like was, she was like jotting on the screen during the demo, uh, like coloring different parts of the sky and just kind of dragging one finger and then using the other on the trackpad. And I thought it was kind of a neat two, two-handed uh, way to use the new tool, I guess. I, I thought it looked really cool. She Clearly she had had some practice because it looked wonderful once she was done. Um, it would take all of us a little longer, but anyway, the way she handled it, I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah. I, I think I, my struggle is that it all just feels like a very, um, it, it feels like an unclear advantage right now. Like I am not convinced that any artist is going to prefer using a touch bar to, uh, first of all, anyone who's doing that quality level of work is not using, you know, mouse and keyboard kind of thing. They're using a Wacom tablet or, a, you know, something like that to interact with things. They've got all their shortcuts set up. So they're using uh, keyboard commands. It's just muscle memory. And I'm not convinced that having a touch bar is improving on that. Like it's changing mm-hmm. it certainly, but I'm not convinced that it is better yet. And I know, for example, from an audio perspective, the only, the only thing about it that looks appealing is the ability to use that touch bar to scrub through a large session more quickly. But it, what do you mean? Like that DJ thing, that DJ demo didn't have you going, <gasps> uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. Oh, that was awkward. Yeah, that was not great. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's something that I could certainly see, uh, being useful in logic, but at the same time, I wouldn't want it on a laptop, right? Like my, the, the work that I do in logic requires more horsepower than these machines have. And so for me, it would be something that I would want as part of the next Magic Keyboard, for example. That would be something that would interest me. It seems like it has to be inevitable uh, one way or the other, because this has to, there's no way in the world that they're not going to update the iMac or or the uh, Mac Pro will set aside, but they're, they're going to update the <laughs> yeah. iMac at some point or another. And it would be really, really odd if the MacBook Pro had this touch bar and the iMac didn't. So that it, it's inevitable. It has to come to the desktop somehow. Yeah. And this is what interests me is right now, um, this technology, like this touch bar thing, I don't know what it leads to, right? Like as a, as a technology right now, it feels like a bit of a stop gap. And I get that. Like, it's not, it's not, we're not getting a touchscreen. Apple is pretty adamant that the Mm touchscreen interface works for iOS, which is built around it. And Mac OS does not require touch input. And I agree with them. I think that that is the the right call. 
Um, but this touch, uh, have you ever played around with a, like a touch screen windows computer? Yeah, I have. It's horrible. I, 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 it's my, my boss has one and he'll just like point to something on the screen just to like, you know, we're smoke, we're accountants. We look at small numbers and spreadsheets and all that crap sometimes. And so he'll like point at a number on the screen and he'll touch it by accident. And the whole thing just goes and then dead. So yeah, touch screens. No, not good. I, see, I don't mind touch. Like I, I have no issue with, with having touch screen input on computers, like, not a problem, but this thing, this touch bar is like, I don't see what the future of this technology is. Like, where is this leading toward? And we have a, um, there's a, a blogger named Neil Seibart who had a um, an interpretation of Apple's product line that he talked about last year. It was like a grand unifying theory of, of what the role of each thing is. And essentially, I'll, I'll quote him. He says, the goal or job for each is to gain enough capability to reduce the importance of the next most powerful product. So, for example, the goal of the iPad is to handle so many tasks that we no longer need a Mac. And in this theory, the Mac's role is to serve as the product that pushes the rest of Apple's product line forward. And I think that's a pretty insightful way of looking at the product line. But this touch bar, I have no idea where that fits into it because this MacBook doesn't seem to do anything to push the interpretation of a computer forward. Like this generation of MacBooks is very much the same kind of machine as the last generation of MacBook. And in that sense, the touch bar to me does feel a little bit gimmicky, not useless, not bad, but gimmicky. Like this is not, I don't look at this announcement Mm. and say, wow, now I can envision the future of computing and it looks like this, right? Like I've, well, I, I mean the, the number, the number bar with all the numbers and the delete key. Whoa, man. Could you imagine a keyboard without a physical delete key? But it seems to me like eventually, you know, the, the number bar will go away and then the QWERTY line, that line will go away and we'll be left with just two lines of actual physical It'll be just keys. a space bar. And then a, just a huge, yeah, eventually <laughs> just a physical space bar. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that'll be funny that's bizarre yeah i mean it's just it seems like there's some missed opportunities here so for example given the photography context and even just the digital art context now that they have such a massive trackpad on there why doesn't it have apple pencil support why can't i use that the way that we would use a wacom tablet for more precise uh local edits local adjustments um you know like just Things like that. Mm-hmm. They're they're already they've got the architecture in place for something like that, but it's not really they're not being as ambitious as I would like them to be in terms of how we interact with these machines. Um, and it's uh, maybe that's not the right you know like maybe that's not the best suggestion. But I'm just uh, in light of certain other products that were announced at the same time, this just feels like a decidedly pedestrian release. And maybe that's okay. Maybe it's, you know, the calm before the storm, but I have no idea what the storm might be. That's good. All good points. I don't know if I have a whole lot to to say. I, I'm, I'm extremely excited about uh, the shortcuts of this touch bar, where it leads to eh, at this point, uh, I'm more like looking at it currently now. And I, I think that the, the, sh- the shortcuts that could eliminate me having to reach down to the trackpad or reach over to the mouse and, you know, aim and click and so on. I, I'm excited about those opportunities. So, um, but yeah, anyway, yours is definitely more forward thinking thought process than my well, own. Well, y- so, you know what? Um, You're right, obviously. And, and it's, we don't have to dwell on the future, but the reason that I think this is important and I think it would be good to know where Apple is going with this is because for now, at least this is a technology that's unique to these MacBooks and like I was saying before, there's a lot of muscle memory in professional workflows that's currently um, inhabited by keyboard shortcuts and things like that. So if you're going to 
talk to a professional and you're going to say, look, I'm offering you an alternative means of input for certain tasks. You're asking them to invest a lot of time to retrain that muscle memory. And it's very difficult for them to justify that effort if they don't have a sense that they'll be able to carry that muscle memory forward to other machines. Like, yeah, it's all well and good that they have this touch bar thing to rub while they're on their MacBook. But what happens when they go back home to the studio and they've got their desktop Mac? Suddenly none of that helps, right? Like all of these little touchy shortcuts Right. for now, they have no sense of whether or not that will become useful. We can speculate. We can say that, yeah, of course we would expect that Apple will bring some sort of touch bar equivalent to their desktop machines, but we don't know. So in the meantime, it's right. kind of just like a thing that you can invest some effort into using and people who are not like, you know, who don't already have a bunch of shortcuts memorized will find it very useful because having those shortcuts surfaced for you means you're suddenly aware of their existence. You're more likely to use them than doing things the old fashioned, you know, click around sort of way. So yeah. Case in point would be like, for me, Microsoft Excel, like I can hammer out a keyboard shortcut in blink of an eye and I can add rows and delete columns and this and that and hide things and so on. And now if there's like a physical, not physical, but you know, digital button on the touch bar that I could just press. The real question is, is, is it going to be faster? to retrain myself to just touch that button if I can put it into there. So yeah, fair point. Yeah. Fair, fair point. Um, I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just the first step in the direction of, of doing so. So, yeah. Um, but okay. So we've talked about this touch bar. I'm excited about the shortcuts. I imagine like Lightroom, for instance, being able, uh, I'm not sure if this will be possible, but I just imagine having like a bunch of little buttons in that touch bar that you could like press for say your favorite preset and then bam, one button press and your entire image has, you know, that preset as opposed to going into the left column and scrolling through a long list of presets and finding it and clicking it. And anyway, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, awesome. I'm excited. Photoshop looked kind of cool, but are there like, we, we should talk about this. You have this long article long. It wasn't long. It was, it was just a good complaining article, which I thought was really great. So let's put that into the show notes um, about how like Apple's, announcements this past couple of weeks have left desktop creatives kind of out not knowing what to do. And you went out and bought a brand new Mac pro yep. like the trash can style uh, instead of what we were all hoping was going to be a new iMac or, or oh, heck a new Mac pro this, this past two weeks. <laughs> so like, you talked about a bunch of limitations that those Mac, the, these current MacBook pros have. Um, so let's dig into that. Like, you're a photographer. You also create, um, you're a composer, uh, and you do a wide range of creative stuff. So like dig into this, why aside from, um, the, you know, the crazy touch bar things, what is limited inside that MacBook pro that has scared you like that you don't like about it? Okay. Well, I'll give you the, the most obvious example. So I just finished recently working on, um, a new piece of music for a game called Plague Inc. And among other things, this game, uh, requires me to do a lot of interesting layering work in the audio because, uh, you know, it's a sophisticated, interesting game. I want to give it the music that it deserves for that. And so in logic, what that means is that I'm using quite a lot of virtual instruments and plugins simultaneously. And there are two main things that are, um, affected by that, one of which is the usage of the CPU to do all of the computation work. But I also need a tremendous amount of RAM to load all of those instrument samples into RAM and allow me to actually work on the session in real time, 
without having to freeze tracks and blah, 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 which basically means printing something to audio and then you lose the ability to tweak it on the go and things like that. It, it What matters is that this kind of workflow is not uncommon and it requires a lot of RAM. And when I say a lot of RAM, I mean my old Mac Pro had 24 gigabytes of RAM and I was running into that ceiling pretty frequently. This new Mac Pro has 64 gigabytes of RAM, and I'm pretty sure I can push it to its limits as well if I really try, but obviously it's going to be uh, only when I am actually making an effort to do so. So that level of, of RAM usage is, again, not it's, it's not the kind of thing that you'll run into if you're doing basic document productivity or you're working in um, you know image editing on a basic level or anything like that. But there are workflows for which this amount of RAM is common and is required. And so when Apple turns around and says, hey, professional, um, we're going to give you this professional MacBook called a MacBook Pro for professionals. And then they cap it at 16 gigabytes of RAM. I mean... That is like automatically, even if I love the touch bar and I wanted the portability and everything like that, it would just by default be a machine that I could not use for my needs. It's a machine that programmers who have to run a bunch of virtual machines to test things, they can't use it because 16 gigabytes of RAM does not allow you to run very many virtual machines at a time, which means your workflow is impeded, not a good machine. If you're doing something like editing or compositing um, huge video projects, not enough RAM. Also not good enough um, graphics card, but that's a different, <laughs> that's a whole different complaint. <laughs> uh, you know, like there's just a lot of stuff that that these laptops are not capable of doing, which is fine because as a professional user, we don't expect that our laptops are going to suddenly take over for the desktop machines. But it becomes frustrating when there is no desktop machine that can handle this workload at all with modern specs, right? right? And that's the frustration that I was feeling recently. And um, I ended up buying the Mac Pro, which is now three years old, um, because on <laughs> three years old in, in oh my yeah. yeah case in point anyway cut you off sorry uh, well just I, so I bought it because on balance it's still the best machine for the kind of work that I do it's it's not it doesn't have the most up to date components but it is built for sustained heavy workloads and that's what I needed. And it's replacing a machine that's eight years old. So I feel like the, the performance gap right. is sufficient that, that this is going to buy me a lot of time. Hey, question for you. Does it have an SD card? Slot? It does not. No. Oh my goodness. Like you're <laughs> like, it's like you are caught up up to date. Yep. I'm on SD card slots are for the losers. losers. Seriously. And not only that, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's forget it. I, I'm, I'm actually used to that because my old Mac pro obviously didn't have a, um, didn't have a, an SD card slot either. So I've been using like external SD card readers forever. Okay. So for me, that's fair, not a step fair. backwards. It's just kind of like, yep, I still don't have this convenient thing. Um, <laughs> but I feel, I feel better because neither do any of these poor suckers buying the new MacBook pros. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Instead they no, get they're... four Thunderbolt three um, USB-C ports, which are fantastic. Like they're, they're incredibly they powerful are. ports. They are. Um, but this is a, I, I, somebody uh, was on, I think it was an Apple blog had actually blamed camera manufacturers instead of oh, Apple sure, for yeah. this SD card thing, because camera manufacturers haven't upgraded the speed of their, well, <clears throat> give me a break. Yeah. Anyway, that's just passing um, the blame around. Yeah. Yeah. We're pro Apple people, I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, I, I, this, this 16 gigabyte Ram limitation, like you probably would know better than I would, but I'm using an iMac with eight gigabytes of Ram. Yeah. I've just like kept kicking this can down the road, waiting to make this upgrade. Uh, and I was going to go with a 32 gigabyte Ram kit for this iMac, but now like, I just don't know if that would be overkill. Is it smarter to like, is 16. Okay. 
Uh, you know, Lightroom is a bit of a hog. So yeah, Lightroom is a little bit of a Lightroom's hog. Lightroom's a hog. I think that um, when you're working with larger and larger um, image libraries, it does help to have more RAM. Um, you can you can do things in the settings to mitigate um, how Lightroom uses your system resources, but ultimately it's still just not a very well-optimized piece of software, sorry to say. So, um, right. it, you know, having more RAM definitely helps with that. But um, in, in your particular case, I keep telling you to just buy a machine with a solid state drive in it because right now you've still got a spinning yeah. platter and that that is well, what's going to feel but yeah. that's what's going to feel faster right ram doesn't make your computer feel faster it kind of just makes it continue to feel fast while you're doing more things in parallel so i i, I with that in mind like i've been i've actually i'm i'm very very largely considering this 15 inch macbook pro aside from all of your complaints um i I've said this from the moment I bought the iMac back in, uh, I think I bought it in 2014, early 2014. And I said like, the reason why I went with an iMac at that point was because it had like this biggest, baddest, awesomest screen that you could possibly buy. 5K, 27 inches. It was like, at that time was, oh, it was amazing. It still is amazing. I still love how sharp it is. Um, But at that point, like you couldn't get uh, a laptop that could drive a 5K display. So... I went with the iMac and made the sacrifices, tried to find workflows to work around the iMac. And now that there's a laptop out there that can drive a 5K display and comes with wide color gamut, which we didn't even talk about, and it's a brighter display, and oh, I'm back to like really wanting a laptop. I would I would kill to be able to go to a coffee shop and edit photos for the first time in like three years. That would be awesome. Um, I've got that 12 inch MacBook, but you know, like it's just, it's just not the same. And not only that, it can't drive these 5K displays. So... I'm set, like I'm not set, but I'm really, really considering the, the this current 15-inch Mac Pro, MacBook Pro with touch bar. Uh, and I would love to get a 27-inch 5K display, which Apple, by the way, is out of. We didn't really mention that, but Apple is no longer in the standalone display business. They are just going to collaborate with big display manufacturers. And they decided LG and like announced this collaboration to bring out a 5k display. And it's like the most bland looking display you've ever seen in your entire life, but really good display, I guess. So, um, and really expensive, especially for us Canadians, like always. Uh, so anyway, that, that was like, that's kind of what I'm thinking right now, but my hesitation is that Ram limitation. I am afraid that 16 gigabytes is not going to last for a three to four year time frame. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's I, the struggle is, uh, you know, when you look at it, buying a computer with future proofing in mind, 16 gigabytes is a pretty low ceiling. Um, even if it fits your workflow today, which I, I pretty sure it will, to be honest, I think you can get away with yeah. 16 gigabytes of Ram for the next couple of years without too much concern. But as you uh, maybe upgrade your camera and you're dealing with larger and larger raw files, and maybe your workflow starts to include round tripping into Photoshop and back again, because you're doing more sophisticated edit work, uh, like that's right, where you're right. going to start to run into um, performance issues with that RAM limitation. And of course, because you're buying a MacBook Pro, um, chances are pretty good that you're not going to have an opportunity to um, to supplement that RAM after the fact, right? At least with the yeah, iMac. Yeah, made that very yeah, At clear. least with the iMac, you're able to upgrade RAM, which is very handy. Um, but you can't with the MacBook Pros, I don't think so, with this new generation. I don't know if iFixit has nope. said definitively, but it's probably... I think that they said that the, uh, the storage will be upgradable. Oh, that's good. Uh, but not the RAM. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know at this point, the solid state drive inside the new MacBook Pro uh, is incredibly fast. It broke Blackmagic 
disk speed test, that yeah. app that everybody uses. To, <laughs> it broke the app. So, hi, yeah, yeah, it must be quick. Um, and I mean, if there is any spillover, my thought process was like, uh, unless I'm wrong, we can eliminate this part later if I'm wrong. But if RAM is all full, the solid state drive, like the computer will use some of the, the storage as RAM, it'll just be slower, correct? Uh, you're talking about page file usage, and that's that depends on the software, and the, it's not a like a universal thing okay. that just happens. Um, okay, so I figured maybe with a faster solid state drive, it would alleviate some of the concern of the 16 gigabyte RAM limitation. It, it certainly but, does. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I mean, again, it's always better to have fast storage, and right now those drives, especially the one and two terabyte solid state disks that are in the new MacBook Pros are benchmarking beyond belief. Like they are incredibly fast drives. So uh, that alone is going to make these computers feel and operate very quickly for the foreseeable future. Um, and that's that's actually one area where Apple seems to be putting a lot of effort in because we're seeing it not only on these machines, but also on their uh, on the iPhones. Right. That's one thing that is right. um, still like none of the Android manufacturers have caught up with is just sheer read write performance on the storage, which makes a big difference in like real time usage, like perceived speed of things. That's what impacts it more than almost anything else. Right. So, um, yeah, there was a cool video from TLD today. I think I watched it this morning about how he showed like what the 13 inch MacBook Pro, the baseline, you know, MacBook Escape, we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, against like one of HP Spectre's newest things. And the, the Spectre, of course, has better specs on the spec sheet, but it's way cheaper. And and then he did a bunch of tests and it was like the MacBook Pro just blew it out of the water in export times yeah. and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So it's interesting how, you know, his argument was that hardware, software working in tandem, that's where speed, you know, the real experience of speed comes in. And I tend to agree with him. Like he's got pretty good, pretty good evidence, but let's, I, I, we got to dig into this USB-C Thunderbolt three, which is also the most confusing thing in the world. Um, but like the potential of these, of these slots are, are pretty, pretty impressive. And, um, I made an argument when I was writing about the 12 inch MacBook early on. Now we're talking computer stuff here specifically once again, but I had said like, I kind of felt for a portable machine where I just needed to do messaging, email, the occasional photo edit, whatever, that I didn't like the fact that I had to carry around an HDMI port and um, Thunderbolt ports on the 13-inch MacBook Pro from yesteryear. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like that I had to carry those around with me all the time. I had to purchase those ports even though I didn't use them. I had to carry them around with me even though I didn't use them. You know, now with the 12-inch MacBook, there was one USB-C port. I could buy the dongle that I needed to adapt my, whatever cable I had, plug it in, use it for 15 minutes, plug it out, and off I go. And I, I kind of like that. Like, um, you know, Jacqueline, she hardly ever uses the USB-C port. The one or two times she needs to use a USB-A, Type-A, you know, thumb drive, she plugs in the dongle, pops it in, and off we go. And it keeps the machine thin and light. Like, my argument was that it's the most pure form of notebook that you could buy. And that has now come to the MacBook Pro. So like, I'm actually not all against this whole thought process that Apple has where they give four USB-C Thunderbolt three ports and off you go. You can adapt to your heart's content and they don't need to worry about putting all these different ports in. I'm actually, uh, I'm positive on the whole matter. I'm not pumped that I have to go find an SD card slot adapter. Um, But aside from that, like I... I see these ports being a huge positive in the long run versus the current hiccups that 
everybody's experiencing. Yeah, and and I mean, you are correct, but I think that the problem is they are a positive, um, but taken too far. Like this, this is a push from Apple's side, right? They they really want to move us closer to their. Uh, envisioned ideal ecosystem faster. And that's okay, but I think that what they've done is inadvertently pushed too hard because there are too many um, very pragmatic, down-to-earth scenarios where you still require easier access to those ports. Like we're talking about the the most basic stuff, like going and having to present easily um, in a meeting room, right? Or getting a USB key while you're on set and having to transfer something quickly that way or doing like, there are just too many scenarios where actual professional users still make use of those ports. And it's frequent enough that to, to them, now you're suddenly asking them to have a laptop, which used to be a perfect all-in-one machine. Now suddenly it requires four or five different dongles that they have to carry with them. You know, it's it's not a matter of size. Again, this is really not, anyone who's complaining about the size of their system is not, uh, I'm not taking them seriously, but it's the inconvenience of having to manage a whole bunch of additional things with your computer setup that up until now has not been required, right? Like you would know this laptop, I can plug all of the things that I need to plug into it in. That's it, done. Yep, but but we haven't had that for like a coon's age. Like I still have VGA display connectors kicking around at the office on a normal basis. And I haven't had a VGA connector in my notebook since 2008. So like, I don't know, like I get the thought that especially USB-A uh, kicker, right? That one is the big one. But but the potential of this in, uh, I, I know what you mean, but at the end of the day, it's not like we haven't been already experiencing a lot of these these shortcomings, these compromises. Yeah, but it's just what I'm pointing out is that I think they pushed a little too hard too fast because there's so, and even, you know what, forget about the ports. Um, I'm going to miss MagSafe. Well, not me personally, but I think that MagSafe as a technology was one of the things that has saved uh, thousands of laptops. Um, yeah, and, probably. And it's something that you, I mean, people may not use a standard USB port all that often, but just think about all the students out there who have their cables, you know, snaking around to whatever poor power ports are actually in their lecture halls. How many times people have tripped over those? Um, like that, that whole mechanism was such a user-friendly um convenience and that's gone mm. now right i haven't noticed it with the macbook to be honest but i might not be the standard guy so anyway i think i mean you're you wouldn't be because you're not used this is really the kind of thing that people who use their machines in in heavily populated high traffic kind of areas run into more frequently but there are a lot of those people unfortunately and students are just one of those examples and for them suddenly there's a very practical downgrade here even you know, like they're getting some extra horsepower, they're getting a cool touch bar and blah, blah, blah. But they're just, there's enough regression in the day-to-day experience of using this machine that it's not the slam dunk obvious upgrade that I think Apple wished it would be. And that's unfortunate because I, you know, if it were only expensive, if that were the only problem with it, like they raised the prices, oh, well, Apple has always made aspirational products. It's the kind of stuff that people want to save up for and want to buy because it's an obvious improvement over whatever they're using at the time. Now I feel as though they're getting to the point where that's really not the case, especially because some of their competitors are really stepping up their game in terms of um, 
what they're offering and at what price point. Like it, it's becoming a little blurrier than um, than I'm used to, and then I think Apple is comfortable with because it's it really doesn't feel like if you had the existing Retina MacBook Pro. And chances are you weren't maxing it out in terms of, uh, you know, computational power. Uh, it's suddenly not such a straightforward, oh, of course I must upgrade to this new machine for a lot of people. And it's just a strange turn of events, I think. So you've talked about these competitors. Let's let's dive in. So um, what, uh, if you're a photographer currently, you've got a, let's say, even a Fuji, like an APS-C body, Sony A6000, 6300, 6500, whatever the next number is, uh, the top of the line Fuji APS-C camera, the top of the line Olympus camera, whatever. Let's say you have, you're a photographer. Um, what computer do you go by? Yeah. And what, what do you look for? Because there's a lot of differentiating things these days. I know what I'm looking for personally, and but I, I'm curious what you think because I, I wonder if it's maybe a little different what our checklists are. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, um, you know, we're, we're bleeding into our main topic here, which w- what we're trying to do is talk because of all these computer announcements and we're, you know, geeking out over it um, to, to bring it back to photography. Our goal is to try and figure out, okay, does this change the option landscape for someone who's actually a professional photographer looking for a computer? Like what constitutes a good computer for a photographer? Um, and yeah, I mean, from my perspective, um, I think the biggest question that needs to be answered first is whether or not you're the sort of photographer where having a portable workflow is important, um, right? Because then you're deciding desktop versus laptop. There's a lot of professional photographers. Like if you look at, oh, there's a website kicking around out there that's like, what's in my bag or something like yeah. that. And they show, you know, what lenses and cameras and stuff they use. Like, it's like everybody uses a MacBook yeah. Pro. Yeah, pretty much. Everybody. So why, I guess. Originally, it was probably because it had top of the line graphics, top of the line RAM. It had an SD card slot. It had a really nice display. It was really thin and light. Had pretty good battery life. Wow, that's a really good computer. That I, now that I talk, yeah, about and it. it had the <laughs> and it had the software ecosystem that these folks were, right, were relying right. on. So it was kind of a no brainer. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying, right? So, so that was a no brainer. Of course, you just bought a MacBook Pro, whichever the best one you could afford was, and whichever one had the screen size that fits in your bag. Right. And now. Now, I, I mean, I still think as a portable option, it's still the best option. Regardless, I, I still think it is the newest one. But are, I, yeah, uh, is the iMac, is the last year's iMac a good option? Hey, how about Microsoft's new Surface Studio? Yeah, so this is where things get more complicated because if I were, let's say I was a you know photographer in the market for a laptop right now, I would not buy the new MacBook Pro. I would most likely buy a Surface Book and the reason is that for, strictly for photography, the applications that I use are cross-platform because I work mainly in the Adobe suite um, or I could work with Capture One or something like that. Like the, the main pinnacles of software that I use for a photography workflow are cross-platform. So, okay, I'm willing to deal with Windows. It's not my favorite, but I'm willing to deal with it because the Surface Book is a more flexible machine. I retain my SD card slot. I get a similarly amazing screen it also detaches and I have pen input so that I can do my local adjustments directly. So altogether for a photographer, that is a lot of pros for this machine. And assuming that Microsoft gets their software to the point where we don't have to worry about the weird glitches that were plaguing the first generation of Surface Books, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they have adjusted 
you know, for that stuff. This second gen Surface Book is a monster for heavy workloads on the go, uh, or I should say moderately heavy workloads on the go, which is like the perfect, that is exactly the category within which most photographers uh, fall. So I think that it is an ideal machine um, from many, many perspectives, and it would certainly be the one that would tempt me um, if I were buying a mobile machine. Well, I I don't know if I could personally get across the whole Windows software thing. Yep, the the photography apps are are cross platform. That part I won't deny, but um, I, I don't know if I could possibly. I, I write enough that. I probably wouldn't consider myself even a, a true professional photographer. I do enough writing that I got to stay within the Mac system. But yeah, uh, from a technological tech spec sheet perspective, the Surface Book 2, Surface Book Gen 2, whatever you want to call it, looks really good. My question is like, what does that hardware actually result in a better experience? Like, does the pen that you can put to the screen and make your local adjustments. Like I've been talking about this with the Apple Pencil and the iPad Pro for ages, and I, I still don't think we see any actual apps that can do this. So is it, it, am I the guy that's dreaming or have they tested this out and it's actually a poor experience? Well, I think the problem with the iPad comparison is that where the iPad is falling down is in the professional software support. And that's not Apple's fault, really. I mean, yes, they could lead the pack and bring back a mobile aperture, hint, hint, please. Um, but realistically, that's something that Adobe's got to do. It's something that, uh, you know, all of these other app manufacturers or app developers have to provide. I think the experience, like when, like every app that comes close enough to that, that I've tried so far is perfect. It's great. It's amazing. But iPad itself is not providing the software environment, um, that is required for most professionals. It's just not convenient enough yet. Um, but if we're talking about pen input versus keyboard and mouse input in general, I think there's no question that for photographers who, you know, put in the time to get used to interacting with things directly. It's it's the same as when we went from, you know, mousing around to being able to tap things on the iPad. There's an immediacy to it that is uh, unparalleled. And I also find it more precise. And especially for something like um, even, you know, just spot removal, it's nice to be able to poke the spot itself directly, right? Not with a mouse, not trying to do anything like that. It's just like, right there, there's a spot, I poke it, it goes away. Or I draw over, you know, it. for me, it gets really frustrating when you're trying to uh, clone out an, a complicated shape or you're trying to uh, make a difficult selection with a pen tool. Doing that with a mouse is a pain. It takes forever compared to being able to just draw, you know, and whether that mm-hmm. is drawing directly on the screen on something like a Surface Book or the Surface Studio or whether it is uh, doing it with a Wacom tablet connected to your computer, it's still faster. And to me, that is meaningful, right? Like if you're, if you're doing a lot of edits that require that kind of tweaking and you're doing it um, for big batches of photos, that's saving a lot of time. Right. You know, you pointed to me the other day, the, the new Razer, all these Razer laptops, these gaming high-end graphics laptops, which obviously can be used for other things other than gaming. Um, And between the studio, the Surface Book Gen 2, these Razer ones. Like, Dell XPS is another. Oh, there are some good options for the whole converting over to Windows to be uh, creative. That's why I'm saying that Apple is in an uncomfortable position now because it's no longer the case that they are providing clearly better 
hardware, right? You can still argue that they're providing clearly better software ecosystem because that remains the case for a lot of different kinds of workflows, especially, my God, if you ever try and look for uh, a decent looking Markdown writing app on the Windows side of things, that is oh. that is a sad, sad experience. <laughs> that is just not great. Uh, but, you know, for, for things like, you know, people who, who live in Adobe and Office, like they, it doesn't matter to them, right? If they can get used to the, the basic... Um, interface of, of windows versus mac os like they don't they don't care right they're not feeling the uh differences in software ecosystem there that's okay um but for those of us who have you know workflows that rely on platform specific software right now trying to find alternatives for those is often an exercise in frustration and that's ultimately what's holding us back from making the switch not the hardware right and that's kind of sad right. yeah man I would I would argue actually against the whole office suite thing like Excel Mac and Excel Windows totally different, um, and that comes down to short short keyboard shortcuts like it's hundred percent different. I try not to ever I never use a, a mouse when I'm in Excel, but I have to when I'm in Excel for Mac um, because the keyboard doesn't um, interact the same as a Windows keyboard does. Right. Like if you hit Alt on a Windows keyboard, like you don't have to hold it down to make it a change, like to make a keyboard shortcut, you just have to press it once. Anyway, some people find that annoying, but it works really well inside of Excel specifically. So just to point that out, I have a very hard time making the conversion from windows to Mac in Excel or, or word, or I never use PowerPoint, but yeah, I mean, but either way, it's, it's one of those things where, um, as far as a photographer is concerned, depending on your apps, you might actually be better served from a purely hardware perspective by, um, one of these Windows-based laptops. Again, because a lot of them retain the standard set of ports. Even if they include a Thunderbolt 3 USB-C, whatever port, they'll include an SD card slot as well. They'll include USB-A ports as well. And that is meaningful. Again, especially if you're a traveling photographer and you want to keep a very, very minimal kit, having a laptop that you know requires just the one cable that gives it power that's that's not insignificant, right? If you're backpacking around, that is important. You don't need an external card reader. You don't need any sort of dongles for uh, connecting to a display if you need it or anything like that. It's just all self-contained. It's great. And generally speaking, you're getting more uh, in terms of bang for your buck with the components. Again, generally not in terms of like Apple's got the clear advantage in terms of storage speeds and things like that. But in terms of graphics technology, for example, you'll almost always get a better graphics chip on um, a Windows machine than you will on a Mac, unfortunately. How much How much does that in, uh, impact Lightroom uh, performance? Uh, I mean, it can impact it a lot. If you're using GPU acceleration, then that can be the difference between it stuttering around or it just instantly doing the things that you need it to do. Um, and this is true in other things as well. So it's, it's a difficult choice. Um, but I think that some of it is mitigated, right? Like for, for Lightroom performance, for example, having that fast disk speed and having good, you know, 16 gigs of good RAM in there, that might be okay. You know, that might mitigate the better graphics chip in an equivalent Windows laptop that also has 16 gigabytes of RAM and, you know, same storage, whatever. Like it, it's, right. <laughs> sometimes it'll balance out, um, but it's just not as clear cut as it used to be. So let's, uh, la- the last question, here we go. Uh, I, my computer is two to three years old and eventually, you know what, we got to upgrade our computers. So unlike, unlike Alvaro, who's using like, is it a 10 year old computer yet that he no, has? him and I were in the eight year club, eight year club. Okay. You guys are, so you're no longer in that club. Congratulations. Um, so aside from Alvaro, everybody else, generally speaking, updates their computer eh, three to five years, somewhere like I think that. That's fair. Yep. And 
and you know, I'm coming up on the three year time frame here shortly with my iMac. Now the question is, I've got a few different options. I've got this razor thing you talked about, which is a really cool. I, I, this razor blade stealth is what it's called, right? You plug in the GPU, like you can yeah, plug the in razor an external up, GPU. Yep, yep. So cool. Um, so, you know, that, let's say that's an option. Two, let's say the Surface Book Gen 2 is an option. Surface Studio, the, we know we're changing formats here, but the Surface Studio, cool drafting style computer, looks really neat. Um, let's say that's an option. Um, an updated iMac is an option. And the newest MacBook Pro is an option. Let's say those are options. I'm leaning towards MacBook Pro because I want to go back to a laptop format. Um, but considering the fact that I shoot photographs and I write a lot within like Ulysses and, um, are you a Ulysses user? I am. Yep. Yeah. Such a good app. Um, so Ulysses, I'm in there a lot. I'm in uh, Slack is in, in windows as well, yeah. but Ulysses is specifically Mac. Um, so I'm in there a lot and I'm in Lightroom a lot. Those are the two most used apps on my computer. Considering that, What's my best option? I think that for you, um, the, you're, you're leaning in the right direction with the MacBook Pro because I know that you'll be able to get better um, Lightroom performance out of the Razer plus Razer Core combination. Like that's just obvious. Um, but okay. for you, this is going to be your main machine, which means you're going to want to be able to take it to a coffee shop and not just do Lightroom edits, but also do a bunch of writing. So Ulysses not being present is a problem. And it's a problem. Yeah, because, I could probably come up with something, but anyway, yeah, but it's what we're talking about trying to, to make or trying to find you the best overall experience. Right. And I, I think that if you were, um, if you were a desktop user, if that were your, your environment of choice and you didn't really care about portability, then I would steer you more towards the latest iMac um, and, or just waiting until after the holidays or whenever we'll hopefully see a refresh to the iMac because that would be, uh, you know, obviously the best machine. It's, it's the only Mac that Apple seems to care about. Um, so, so that right. would be a yep. good machine. I mean, that's the machine that I was waiting for, quite frankly. Um, it just turned out that, uh, it would have ended up being too expensive for what I was after and just not a good value. So I, you know, that's why I've got my, my new Vader helmet here, but, um, in terms of, uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, uh, you know, most people and, and certainly for, for a basic, like Lightroom, intense Lightroom um, kind of workflow, the new iMac is more than powerful enough. Like that will chew through anything. Right, and even right. even for video stuff, it's it's a quite a beastly machine, right? Like we do all of our agency editing on the 2014 iMac and it it's good, you know, it does the job. So it's uh, it's not to be underestimated, but again, because you're a mobile happy user, I think the MacBook Pro is the best combination because then yes you you give up some theoretical performance and future upgradability because the razor core you can just swap in whatever graphics card you want but realistically right. i don't know if that would make you happier than just the day-to-day -day delight of getting to stay within the same software ecosystem and you don't really know what you're missing with the razor core right it's not like you you get to try it out and and feel that speed and then you go back to the macbook right like the the macbook pro is still right. going to feel like a significant leap forward for you in terms of performance versus this imac that you have largely in part of the uh, because of the storage by the way that's that's going to be the biggest thing that you'll feel is just the the ssd contributing yeah, I, I, and to be honest with you, I hadn't even given that enough thought, I, I think. But uh, then the last option here that I didn't mention before, but like maybe should I, do I buy a 32 gigabyte RAM kit and keep the iMac for another year and wait till the 15 inch MacBook Pro comes with a 32 gigabyte RAM option? That's also in the back of my head. Um, but, you know, then we're talking about 
a year, like then, you know, the question remains is 32 gigabytes. Is that like, is the performance difference, especially within the photographic apps, are those, is there a big enough jump there to have another year of no portability? You know, God, this is so hard. Yeah. And also how much money do you want to, do you want to pour into a machine that you know you're going to be replacing yeah, in a few months? Yeah, that too. And it's clearly the iMac is worth more right now because in all likelihood, a new iMac will come out between the next MacBook Pro update and the latest one yeah. here. So that'll shoot the value of this current iMac down. You know, I could probably get between 1700 and 2000 Canadian dollars for this iMac, which is actually pretty impressive. I'm not going to deny I'm, I'm actually quite happy with that number. So the, the cost of upgrading to the newest MacBook Pro isn't, you know, that will go... It will only go up the cost of upgrading the longer I wait, yeah. right? Um, but am I am I kicking myself in the butt by having that 16 gigabyte RAM limitation and having the USB-C limitation? I, I think the USB-C thing I'll get over. That won't be a hard problem. I think the RAM thing, I don't think that'll be a huge deal either, but it could could come and bite me in the butt one day. I mean, the, thing to, the thing to wonder is if, uh, if you buy the new MacBook Pro, you just... You, that's what you do. What happens if in two or three months, the new iMac comes out? Are you going to feel bad? It's going to be an awesome machine. Obviously we know yeah, that. True. Are you going to feel bad? Or are you going to be like, no, you know what? The, the MacBook Pro is still a better fit for my needs. Cause the iMac might be cool, but it's still not portable. You know, it's still not, mm-hmm. you know, I can't mm-hmm. take it to the coffee. I mean, you get, I guess you can take it to the coffee shop. Maybe they'll have like backpack straps or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those before. The real question is, are you going to feel a little bit disappointed that you went with the Mac Pro versus the latest iMac that'll come out I'm sure within January or February of next year. I don't I don't think so honestly. Like I know it might be better, it might benchmark better for things like that, but the amount of money that I would have to pay to buy that machine is just overwhelming and I I prefer the approach that I've taken now where I've I've spent a fair bit of money but much less on this old Mac Pro uh, which I didn't buy new. I should maybe point that out. I I didn't buy this retail. It's it's secondhand. Um, but now I have the flexibility to choose whatever display I want and whenever I find an advantageous price for it. And if down the road, you know, new display technology comes out, I can buy a new one or I can replace the computer and not have to worry about replacing the display. And, you know, hopefully by then there'll be a new Mac pro who knows, but either way I'm, I'm settled now. I'm, I'm, uh, hopefully, you know, having kept one computer for eight years, I'm probably not going to keep this one for eight years, but I'm, I'm hoping to get, you know, several out of it. And, from my early tests, it looks like it's got more than enough horsepower to keep me running for the foreseeable future. So while I will, of course, be tempted as a geek, um, I think pragmatically, I am just fine with this machine for the foreseeable future. So somebody said this in a blog article one day, it was yesterday or something. They said, what does Apple use to create their software and their videos and this and that? Like, what are they using? Are they using MacBooks? Yeah, not this. Not like 12 inch MacBooks. Like what, what, what are they using? And I mean, they would be idiots if they didn't have some sort of upgrade, like something for their own employees to be using, to be creating all of this stuff. Right. Yeah. Like you got to think that there's some sort of upgrade cycle here in the product line. They're too big a company to ignore such a big, you know, line of product. Yeah. So there, there, you got to think the answer is on the, on the horizon somewhere. It's just maybe not right now. Yeah. Here's hoping I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'll, I'll still be very curious to see what the next generation of desktop machines brings. But uh, yeah, for now I am satisfied with, with my choice and hopefully you'll be satisfied with whichever choice uh, you end up making. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I don't know. 
It's going to be a tough, tough few months to see. I'm, I'm excited. When the reviews come out, that'll really Yeah, help. I think so too. Uh, some, at least somewhat. I might tend to read the Anand, Anantech or Anantech yeah. review before anybody else or the Ars Technica yeah. review. I have a gut feeling there's be a lot of bias kicking around in, in the big publications. Probably. Yeah, we'll see. Like we'll always. See. Well, folks, that's going to do it. This was episode 34 of Candid. Um, we promise we will be back to purely photographical topics next week. We just uh, figured we have to go through this because it's uh, it's big news and it's something that affects us all because unfortunately, the photographs have to be processed somewhere and that happens on a computer. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, next week we're- uh, Not always. No, 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 not always. Hey. Well, that's true. Alvaro would probably argue with you yeah. right now, especially if he had a glass of wine in his yeah. hand. I hope he's. I hope he has a glass of wine in his hand right, he, right now. He as probably does. Let's let's be real. He probably does. 